I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Well, the national conversation these days seems to revolve around the border, the economy, and sending aid to our friends overseas. All of these conversations are filled with debate and controversy, and as the debates continue, public trust in Congress continues to erode. And then we have the looming question of corruption in the Biden family. My guest today has been very adamant the FBI has let us down when it comes to investigating Joe Biden and his family's business dealings. Senator Ron Johnson, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Tudor. Glad to be on. We are glad you're on because a lot of us and a lot of our listeners have been incredibly concerned with what's going on with Joe Biden's family business dealings. And it seems like you're kind of calling out the FBI for having some information that they have labeled misinformation rather than put out there as what could possibly been happen- have been happening behind the scenes with the Biden family. Do you believe that he was getting money from corrupt business dealings? Sure. Well, let's first kind of frame this from a macro standpoint. As concerning as the Biden crime family corruption is, as much as that compromises our president and puts our national security at risk, as concerning, even more concerning, is the corruption that has been revealed in federal law enforcement, the FBI, mm-hmm. Department of Justice, uh, intelligence uh, agencies, and then, of course, the corrupt media that overlooks all this, that doesn't hold both sides uh, equally accountable. Uh, when it comes to the FBI, uh, what we have found, uh, because of whistleblowers, both the IRS whistleblowers as well as FBI whistleblowers coming to both Senator Grassley's and my office, but I think the most recent revelation showed that uh, the FBI literally had 40 confidential human sources with derogatory information on the Biden family. Uh, the FBI then set up this foreign influence task force, which was, appears to be primarily what my staff calls catch and kill. So wherever some derogatory information would pop up on on the Bidens, this task force would swoop in and basically label that information Russian disinformation, uh, foreign influence, uh, designed, I mean, from a partisan standpoint, designed to protect the Bidens. I mean, this this is shocking. Uh, We are seeing more and more uh, piece piece of this puzzle being revealed by uh, Chairman Comer and Chairman Jordan as well. Uh, You asked me a question, do I I think Joe Biden benefited from this? 
Uh, I don't have the direct evidence other than now we've seen a loan payment, apparently, from James Biden to Joe Biden. Uh, We've seen some other things connected. To me, it's all pretty obvious. I mean, millions of dollars that Senator Grassley and I revealed flowing into this labyrinth of companies that uh, Hunter Biden set up to launder money. Uh, James Comer has shown there's a lot more people than just uh, Joe and, and Hunter and James and Sarah Biden that have benefited. You know, they're, they're more family members. So to me, this has been obvious from our initial investigation. I, I don't know that the mainstream media will ever see enough evidence to make it obvious to them, but I think it's obvious to, to anybody who's really paying attention. Well, on these payments, we're talking about coming from countries like Russia, Ukraine, China. These are adversarial countries and certainly now, well, not Ukraine, but Certainly now we're seeing the world erupt. We see what's going on with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. We see that Russia has been talking to China, to North Korea, to Iran, what's happening overseas in the Middle East. When you look at that combined with the potential payments, does that concern you that his judgment is clouded when it comes to making tough decisions and the decisions that we're facing on the world stage in the coming months? Absolutely. And, and we had a very early example in his administration where they canceled the China Initiative, which was a Department of Justice uh, initiative to investigate and try and crack down on China stealing our intellectual property on our college campuses. Why would you c- cancel that when you realize that's probably one of the greatest threats that China represents to America is stealing our stuff and then using our intellectual property, our technology against us and the Biden program? So, no, you have to be concerned about this. And, you know, Tudor, remember the, the rationale for the hair on fire concerns about the totally false narrative of Trump campaign collusion with Russia. Hmm. That if we, we elect you know, Donald Trump and he had contact with Russia, this could put our national security at risk. That's why we went through years of torment, uh, political turmoil on a completely false narrative that the FBI knew, by the way, and the Biden administration, or the Obama administration, knew was a scheme hatched by the Clinton campaign. I mean, you, right. you can't make exactly. this, all the information the FBI had in its possession, and yet they ran with this investigation, helped set up the Mueller special counsel, put this uh, country through a couple of years of term. Uh, let's face it, sick, it hasn't ended. It but, hasn't. But ended. the media Terma allows was- allows. Hillary Clinton to continue to go out and say this. She continues to peddle this lie, even though she knows she paid for it. She knows she brought this lie to the United States and they allow her to continue to say, well, there was Russian collusion. You know, I mean, that to me is mind boggling that no one says to her, well, wait a minute. We actually proved that that wasn't true. In fact, you were involved in that lie. Well, her her campaign communication department wouldn't tell her that. And that's really what the mainstream media basically is. It's the communication arm of the radical left wing, of liberals, Mm. of Democratic Party. Uh, And that's a big problem. We we wouldn't have the corruption in our federal agencies if we had a unbiased free press that was holding both sides equally accountable. I I don't want a biased press biased towards conservatives. I want an unbiased media holding both sides equally accountable. We don't have that right now. We have basically mouthpieces for the, the radical left for the Democrat Party. I want to go back to something that you said, because you talked about this program in universities where China had was supposed to be told that they can take our intellectual property. Now, apparently that's been canceled. You and I both come from the manufacturing world. I was selling tool and die steel to plastics fabricators. You are a plastic fabrication company. So you and I both understand how important it is that we protect our intellectual 
property. But beyond that, we spoke to Larry Kudlow recently, and he was talking about the national security dangers of this reduction in, in oil production and what that means for our plastics industry. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. How do you fight this? I mean, you come from this industry. You understand that when we are talking about petroleum, we're not talking about just powering our vehicles. We're talking about what our toothbrushes are made out of, our clothing, our cars, everything we, it, whether it's your cell phone to your shoes, it's made from something that comes out of the oil industry. So how much danger are we in right now because of not only China being able to take our IP, but also the fact that we've reduced our own oil production and now we put power into the Middle East that wasn't there before? Well, I've said if you were asked to de develop a strategy to destroy this country, you could not come up with a better mm. game plan than what the Biden administration and the radical left has implemented. You know, the open borders, the embarrassing and dangerous surrender to Afghanistan that emboldened our enemies, the, the war on fossil fuel which uh, certainly has contributed to 40-year high inflation together with the massive deficit spending. So you know, let's focus on, on the war on fossil fuel. Uh, first of all, I, I'm not a climate change denier. I'm just not an alarmist. The right. climate has always changed. There was just a declaration made by 1,609 worldwide scientists and professionals led by two Nobel laureates, and they got their Nobel Prizes in physics. Because th these are smart, scientific, scientific people the declaration said we have no climate emergency, that the climate change alarmism is all based on faulty and false science. So let's knock it out. We, we've spent something like $6 trillion combating climate change. Even the climate change alarmists won't say that we've even bent the curve down. You know, we're not going to be able to hold back the tide. So the first thing is we need conservatives, people with their heads screwed on right, uh, pushing back against that false narrative. Now, it's not easy to do. Trust me, I do it. I get vil vilified. I get ridiculed for being a, a climate and science denier. But the science states that we've always had climate change. And unless there are enough people willing to you know, call BS on this, we're going to continue down this path. And we've got far too many Republican politicians that buy into this climate change BS. Well, let That's me ask you yeah. something and about that, and though, because I would argue that our manufacturing companies are not reckless regardless. And I, and I would be willing to bet you would say, no, we're very conscious of what we put in the ground and what and whether that has to do with climate change or just protecting people, protecting animals. We I would say that the United States is the cleanest manufacturing country in the entire world because we are concerned with those things. No one's reckless out there. Without a doubt. Again, that's different between being yes. an environmentalist. And I'm a I'm a definite environmentalist. I mean, I love the outdoors. I want a pristine environment. I get my water out of a well. I want clean groundwater. And there's no doubt about that American manufacturing is the most environmentally sensitive and friendly manufacturing in the world. Mm -hmm. So again, I've always said, you know, I'm not a big fan of the federal government, but one agency that I think was very successful was the EPA. Now, it's gone beyond its initial mandate, but what it was originally set up to do, you know, the main pollutants it was set up to combat, you know, the things that were causing fire or, you know, rivers to go on fire, they've done a great job at reducing, and that's a good thing, and we all support it. It's the climate change that is so destructive. It's being used to scaremonger and fearmonger for greater government control and reducing our freedom. And again, it's, it's fantasy. 
Don't you think that that's a lot of where they've been able to manipulate young minds, though, and make people believe that Republicans are not environmentalists, which I fight against. I say, no, 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 stop saying that, because I would say Republicans are the innovators. We are the ones that own the businesses, that create the better ways of doing things, that take care of the earth, that take care of the people. And that, I think, is the manipulation, is convincing young people that Republicans are against the environment instead of talking about this boogeyman of climate. The media, the left is always going to twist people's words and, and lie and not tell the truth. I mean, if, if they don't if they don't have something that uh, they can twist and use against you, they'll make something up. They, they have no problem lying. They have no problem pushing false narratives, as we saw with uh, with Trump and the Hillary Clinton campaign. So, again, in the end, all we have to do is tell the truth. And from my standpoint, I think it's pretty easy to push back on the climate change alarmist. I point to the Vostok ice core sample, you know, 440,000 years of of. Uh, you know, scientific temperature variation proven, and you see five cycles, 22.7 degrees variation. You take a look at the sea level rise in the Bay of San Francisco, 390 feet since the last glaciation period 20,000 years ago. There's nothing we could have done to hold back the tides or, or prevent those types of temperature cycles. We're not going to be able to prevent this one either. So again, it's, it's alarmism. It's based on bad science. There's more scientists and, and Nobel laureates coming out saying, don't be, do not be afraid. The climate has always changed. We'll adapt. We can adapt. But, you know, just tr trying to mollify the left and try and get them to not to criticize you by just going along with climate change is is a losing strategy. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think it's a, a tough hill to climb. And I appreciate you sharing with us that information, because I think a lot more people need to be educated on how to talk about it in a different way. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. 
I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You and I are both here in the Midwest. I, you're a, in Wisconsin. I'm in Michigan. It's becoming a much bluer area. It's harder for, for Republicans to win. So tell us your secret of talking about these things in Wisconsin and how you continue to win elections and fight for the people. I think people realize I honored my promise of always telling the truth. Now, they may not always agree with me, but they do realize that whatever I say, I genuinely believe it, and I believe it to be the truth, and I, and I won't back down. And I think people do appreciate the fact that, uh, uh, you know, I, I often said during my, my second election, and said, I, I win either way. I either win my election or I get to go home. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was uh, criticized for being too ambivalent. I, I wasn't ambivalent. I mean, you, you can see the, and hear the passion in my voice here. I'm, I'm, I ran for a third term, even though I didn't want to, because I couldn't walk away. I couldn't turn my back on this country. You know, this country is imperiled. And so I think just being passionate, being honest, being truthful, being genuine, uh, when it comes to electromechanics, being concerned far more about the grassroots and, and getting out and talking to everybody and convincing, you know, members of, of uh, you know, the, the county parties to get out and talk to their friends, family and neighbors. I mean, you, you win elections one person at a time. Hmm. Uh, you need ads, you need all that type of thing. But, you know, my folks and my campaigns have always been on just working the state hard, talking to people and asking them to you know, be evangelists for the truth and, and t- talk to their friends, families and neighbors. So that strong ground game. And honestly, I believe that that strong ground game is something we have been missing in Michigan and the Democrats have done extremely well. I think that's a a really valid point. People need to understand that it's important to get your friends and neighbors out to talk about it, to get people to vote. It's important because we've got a lot going on right now. You've talked quite a bit about the border. Obviously, we're talking a lot about what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in Israel. Right now, we're looking at the new House Speaker wanting to separate that Israel funding into one individual bill. That is not widely accepted by Democrats, and even even Mitch McConnell is not a fan of that. Where do you stand on the Israel funding? Well, first of all, I recognize that uh, when Republicans control the House and we're the minority in the Senate, the Speaker of the House is really the leader of the Republican Party. And I understand the, the challenge that Speaker Johnson faces and I think Republican senators' role ought to be to support him and not undermine him. Uh, first of all, I completely agree with him. Uh, there's broad bipartisan support to get whatever Israel needs to Israel and support Israel. Uh, putting together uh, Israel funding in a larger package that has definitely controversial elements to it is going to slow that process down. So why would we do that? So I think Speaker Johnson very intelligently said, no, let, let's provide, let's vote on and pass support for Israel. And oh, by the way, why don't we pay for it? Uh, let's pay for it by taking $14 billion out of the $80 billion that uh, Joe Biden and Democrats passed to harass American citizens hmm. through uh, 87,000 new IRS agents. Seems to make sense to me. Pretty common, common sense approach. Uh, so I completely support the speaker. And, and I think uh, Leader McConnell is out of touch with the uh, Republicans uh, that support us uh, throughout the country, but also even Republicans in the United States Senate. 
Yeah, obviously, we're sitting here watching these horrors across the country of what's even happening with anti-Semitism. And certainly that has fueled a lot of people to say we have to protect Israel, but we have to protect people on our own within our own borders as well. That seems to be getting harder and harder as we have an open border with people coming across and they have multiple different backgrounds. But we know that a lot of these people that have come across have backgrounds in terror. So what do you say about, I know you've talked about having the Ukraine aid connected to border funding as well. What would you like to see at the border right now? Well, first of all, that that whether you agree or disagree providing support to Ukraine, it's very true that Democrats, President Biden, are more concerned about Ukrainians' borders than they are our own. Right now, the completely out of control open borders is the greatest homeland security threat our nation faces. Uh, so over 73,000 special interest a- aliens that we know about crossed over in- during the Biden administration. Over 6 million people have been let in. 1.7 million known gotaways. We don't know who these people are, but we know they came into this country. We detected them. We just didn't uh, even encounter them. So this is a massive threat to our national security. So we got to fix it. And so there will be a legitimate and concerted effort to attach to any Ukraine funding true border security with metrics. I think that's important because no matter what law we pass, we know that the Biden administration is a lawless administration. You can't count on them to actually implement the law. They will circumvent the law. So we're going to have to hold their feet to the fire. So I'm working with uh, Senator John Hoven, who really developed this concept, and we're going to put in strong metrics that uh, if you know, you'll do an initial tranche to Ukraine, but then uh, future $5 billion tranches, it would be my suggestion, would, would have to be tied to border metrics of actually reducing the number of people let in down to, uh, let's say, the level that it was when Trump left office. I think that's a pretty reasonable approach. You mentioned something interesting at the beginning of that. You said no matter where you stand on funding Ukraine. I want to ask you about that because we've had a lot of people on the podcast who have said, Folks need to understand that America first doesn't mean America only. And we have to still be the leader out there that is stepping in or someone takes that role away from the United States of America. What is your response to that? Well, I think most Americans, you know, we we truly do support Ukrainians who are just fighting for their families, for their freedom, for their territory. And we all recognize that Vladimir Putin is a evil war criminal and we don't want to provide any uh, comfort or support for him. Okay. But we also have to recognize reality. I think there was a point in time, for example, I don't think Putin ever would have uh, invaded Ukraine had Trump won re-election. I think there was a moment in time very early on when Putin didn't just immediately uh, secure the collapse of of Ukraine and take it all over. And he was back on his heels that showing unity and providing funding, I was hoping would deter him from continuing, just, you know, stop the war have some kind of peace. Now, the reality of the situation is we are in a bloody stalemate. Putin will not lose this war. He can't. It's a, losing the war would be an existential threat to him. He has nuclear weapons, tactical nuclear weapons. He has threatened to use them. I believe he would. So we're not going to defeat Russia. Ukraine can't do what it would need to defeat Russia, start lobbing missiles into Moscow to, to reduce the will of Russian people. So this cannot be won by Ukraine. This is going to have to be settled. Every day that goes by where it's not settled, more Ukrainians die, soldiers and civilians, more Russian conscripts die. And I take no joy that 
young men yanked out of their villages in Russia are being sent to the front lines to, to die for Putin. Uh, this has to end. And I think Zelensky right now is, is getting the signal that he probably ought to bring it to an end as quickly as possible because he can't count on just an open checkbook for his war effort. Well, uh, some of the folks... We don't that- want to give aid and comfort to Putin, but we've got to encourage this war ends. Some of the folks that are running for president have said they don't believe money should go over there at all, that they believe there should be support in other ways, that weapons should be sent, that munitions should be sent. Is that something, I mean, you're saying that those things are not going to matter. Do you believe that Joe Biden should be trying to have a diplomatic relationship with Putin that ends this? Or do you think that's impossible with a Joe Biden? I think Zelensky needs to really lead that effort. You know, I was at his inauguration. I met with him a few months later. He wanted peace with Russia. This is when Russia had taken over Crimea and eastern Ukraine, but he wanted to do a peace deal. He did not want war. I'm not quite sure what happened in the intervening time period, but we obviously know that uh, Putin invaded. Um, again, this, this, this is a tough call. Okay, there's, there's no doubt about it. That's why it is controversial. You know, I would support a bill that, with metrics, did provide ongoing support for Ukraine for a time period to set set number. If we truly got a change in our asylum laws, we got strong border security, and then metrics as the money was being metered out where we were actually seeing the border secured. And, and remember, Tudor, under under the same broken asylum system, we just had Secretary Mayorkas in front of our committee yesterday, and he just kept repeating this, you know, it's because of our broken system. No, our border is out of control is because you have an open border policy. The root cause of our current situation is Joe Biden and Secretary Mayorkas. So President Trump reduced the flow of illegal immigrants on the southwest border to 17,500 during his administration. Last month, it was over 270,000. Six million people into this country uh, either uh, encountered, processed, and dispersed rapidly or as known gotaways. This is completely out of control. We can fix this, even without changing our law, but we've got an opportunity now with this, uh, the, the administration's desire to provide funding to Ukraine to demand we secure our own border at the same time. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, 
You can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've never heard any of these folks that say that the border is broken or that the border program is broken say what they think should be done. I've never heard a a solution to that. Have you been have had people behind the scenes said, boy, reform looks this way? Well, we know. I mean, we know it worked. It was consequences. You can't just let people in. You can't have an open invitation. So you need to increase that credible sphere standard to more likely than not, you actually have a valid asylum claim and more likely than not that you're telling us the truth. That actually would be a pretty high standard. And then you don't adjudicate the claim with them in the country waiting to, for it to be adjudicated. Because in New York City, you don't even hear you get your first immigration trial now for 10 years. So you need a return to Mexico or return to their home country or safe third country and let people wait out their time if they have a valid asylum claim. Uh, we will adjudicate it while you're not in the U.S., while you're either in Mexico or your home country. If you literally have a valid asylum claim, uh, those kind of consequences have worked in the past when we had a flood of, uh, you know, much smaller floods from Brazil. Uh, it worked under the Trump administration. It would work under the Biden administration if there are metrics to this Ukraine bill. It won't work if we just pass a law because, again, this is a lawless administration. Biden has no intention of following whatever law Congress passes. Yeah, I mean, that's been our biggest issue when people talk about gun control. We don't follow laws as it is. What would if you went in and you made a bunch more laws about guns? How is that going to do anything if you don't follow the laws you have on the books about guns? I mean, that that's been my biggest frustration is this lawless administration. But it's the same no matter where you go. I mean, in Michigan, we have this tragedy on Michigan State's campus. And again, had this man who was caught with a weapon and had he been convicted of the felony he should have been convicted of in the first place, he would have never had a weapon on the campus. So, I mean, I, I just see this time and time again, we're not following laws. They want to make new laws. They don't follow the ones they have. It's just a huge problem. Before I let you go, though, I want to get to COVID-19 and the vaccine, because you've been very vocal about wanting to have the COVID safety data. And this is something that we've talked about quite a bit. We've had experts on who have said, this is the first time we've ever been in a situation where we haven't been able to review the safety data data from these pharmaceutical companies. Why can we not get this information when we see people dying of heart attacks at young ages? We see young people with blood clots. We see young people with myocarditis and heart issues. Why is it so hard to get this data? Because the drug companies and our federal health agencies lied to us, boldface, uh, in a number of different instances. And now they can't admit they were wrong. The body count is way too high. They told us this would stay in the, in the arm muscle, not biodistributed all over the country. Yet they knew 
from a biodistribution study in rats of the lipid nanoparticle that was going to go all over the body and concentrate in the ovaries and other different, different organs, the adrenal glands. Uh, they, they kept that from us. They lied to us. Uh, they lied to us that this was a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. This is gene therapy. The vaccine biodistributes. It attaches to a cell. It injects the mRNA into your cell. Uh, it juices the mitochondria to give the, the engine of the cell the, the energy to produce a spike protein that is toxic to the body. It's expressed by the cell and then attacked by the body. Gee, I wonder why we're having problems. That attaches to a heart muscle. Uh, the body attacks a heart muscle, causing inflammation. That's what myocarditis is. Uh, you attach that to a cancer cell. You juice the mitochondria of a cancer cell. What might that cause? Again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical researcher. This is just in layman's terms. Uh, I'm providing information in terms of what should have caused uh, federal health agencies to look at this uh, far more carefully. Uh, and now, now that we see, for example, more than 36,000 deaths on the VAERS system uh, mm -hmm. worldwide associated with the COVID vaccine, 24 percent of those deaths occur on days zero, one, or two. Now, I realize the VAERS system doesn't prove causation, but man, that correlation sure concerns me. Why is it concerning our federal health officials? The V-SAFE system, this was set up specifically to track adverse events with the COVID vaccine. 10 million people volunteered. 8% of those individuals had to seek medical care after the vaccine. 24, 25% basically couldn't carry out their daily activities for a day or two because of the adverse reaction to the vaccine. That's a screaming safety signal, yet it was buried. Uh, Aaron Siri had to sue the federal government just to release that data. So again, they lied to us. They know there are problems. They've got safety signals. They've got their own analysis. They won't turn that over to us because they lied to us and they don't want to admit they're wrong. And they certainly don't want to have us be able to prove that they lied to us. Well, I think the, the yeah, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. Obviously, you're talking about a lot of these people that are having symptoms within the first few days. But something you mentioned, uh, one of my relatives is was trying to go through all the research and, and as much as, as he could find online going through all of this. And one of the things was the fact that this settles in the ovaries. And that was, I have four daughters. Um, many of my family members have young girls. And at that time, we were being heavily pushed to vaccinate our kids. And we said, no, we're not going to vaccinate our kids. And then he came up to us and he said, look at this weird note. And I think it was, I'm not sure, it was one of the pharmaceutical companies, I think it was Pfizer, that had this strange note in their information that said, this settles in the ovaries. And I think, what are the, we're talking about myocarditis where you can feel it. We're talking about these folks that have died within three days or had these terrible symptoms. What are the long-term effects and what are the long-term effects on fertility? Because I think family is absolutely what builds this country. And if they can take away family, that is going to, that, that just destroys the entire country, obviously. But, but what do we know about the long-term effects of this vaccine and how do we ever find it out? Well, you, your, your listeners, you can go to uh, Dr. James Thorpe. He was an OBGYN for 40 years. He's written extensively on this. He's appeared in some of my Senate panels. Uh, it's frightening. Again, I, I don't talk publicly about all the things that I've, I've read that I know because I don't want to frighten people. I, I think the good news is uh, this, I think, out of a Denmark study, about 70% of people that did get the vaccine exhibit no side effects whatsoever. Uh, another 20% uh, some mild side effects and pretty well limited to about 4 or 5% of the population that uh, are really s seeing serious side effects from the vaccine. So, you know, if you're not seeing them, try not to worry about it. 
but our federal officials should be worried about it. They should be concerned. They should be conducting studies. It's, it's remarkable what studies weren't conducted and still aren't conducted. And then you can even broaden this to the childhood vaccines. Now, now that I've you know, gotten into this, we've, we've never tested the childhood vaccines against a true placebo. Uh, it's terrifying. So I, I, I saw something yesterday anymore. showing the number of vaccines that I took when I was a kid compared to the number of vaccines that my kids get. And I'm like, man, how are we not making a bigger deal about this? It's just something that we've for so long, we've just gone along with it. Well, we, we, we gave vaccine manufacturers, you know, absolute liability. It's a huge profit center as a result. Uh, they make a lot of money off this, and so they want to just keep pushing more and more and more vaccines. It makes no sense. And what's really tragic about this is our federal health agencies, their job should be to ensure safety, to, to hold the pharmaceutical companies' feet to the fire, but they've been captured by big pharma. You know, that's, that's what all the billions of dollars that big pharma spends on advertising. Uh, the, the fact that uh, they're funded through FDA, use, the, you know, the agencies are funded through FDA user fees, the sales of drugs, the fact they have a revolving door of federal health officials back into Pfizer. Look at Scott Gottlieb, you know, FDA commissioner. Now he's on the board member of Pfizer and a big pusher of the vaccines. So, again, the fact that they can even advertise the way they do is crazy. It is. I mean, listen, I'm a sales guy. There's no way I would advertise a product where I've got to list all the side effects, including death. Why would they do that? The only reason they spend those billions of dollars putting up those stupid ads that actually scare people more than convince them to use their drug is that allows them to capture the narrative. So, for example, during the pandemic, you had all of these news organizations up and down the line censoring truth, censoring the real information, calling people like me uh, nutcases and vilifying and ridiculing me and labeling the information I was providing that was literally just government information as misinformation. Well, it we works. are blessed. We are blessed that you decided to run for another term. And we are so, so grateful. Honestly, I know people across the country are so blessed by your presence there in Washington, D.C. and how hard you're fighting for us. Senator Ron Johnson, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. And thank you all for joining us today on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others. Check out TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.